Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is grief. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, we're still in the midst of an ongoing pandemic, mm-hmm. and it's changed the way we do a lot of things. Yes. And recently you held a funeral, which got me thinking about things that have changed specifically around grief, which is something many people are dealing with because of said pandemic. Mm -hmm. And because of the continued conversations around racial inequality and all of those pieces. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the obvious. What are you seeing as changes around the actual funerals themselves? Lots of changes. And it's not completely clear how this is going to continue to be changing over the months to come. Particularly, we are here at the end of June, beginning of July, and we're beginning to see another spike in coronavirus cases. So the possibility is that, yeah, it's going to continue to be a big deal and we'll have a lot of funerals to take care of. It changes based on kind of practice, different faith traditions and different individuals have different practices around their funerals and how things are taken care of. We know that in New York City, for example, there were a lot of challenges just in processing bodies fast enough sure, to be able to observe cultural and religious practices for those faith traditions that don't allow for cremation in particular, it gets very difficult. Sure. So for those of us who allow for cremation, it gives a space that makes things a little easier. So for example, the funeral that I did this week was for a saint that we lost in March. But because cremation was a part of the burial plan, We were able to wait in order to have her actual burial until we were able to have 25 people gathered outdoors at the cemetery. Okay. Now, I know that at the beginning of the pandemic in March and maybe in April in the state of Washington, you couldn't have anyone at the funeral, at the burial site. And there were no funerals happening because funerals are one of those opportunities where it's really easy to spread the virus. Oh, definitely. Being able to observe the six foot distancing is incredibly difficult while you are grieving. People are crying, people's noses are running, right? People wanna hold one another's hands. Yep. You're wiping your eyes from your tears. All the different ways that we know are really possible super spreaders. And multi-households are gathering together, even though it's maybe all family, there's still multiple households gathering together for those events. So funerals are actually a pretty risky endeavor at this time. That's what I would have guessed. I mean, just knowing my own mother's story, her sister has died recently, and she was having a hard time even deciding, do I try to go see her before she dies. Am I going to be allowed in the hospital? Is it a bigger risk than it's necessary? And can I get closure any other way? Because she's of a generation Hmm. and of a faith tradition where 
the Catholics, at least, as she believes, there is no cremation, at least not Correct. in her mind. She does not mm-hmm. want that for herself. And she needs to see that body to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. That's how she feels about it. Absolutely. Those viewing practices are deeply sacred for many different faith traditions. So she was having a very hard time, and she's not alone, and Mm -mm. it's not going to get any better anytime soon. It's not. It's not going to get easier. And I think that the pieces that can make it safer, wearing masks, participating in social distancing, having services outdoors, even that is so hard, or keeping it to family only, you know, for this particular instance, this was a 65-year matriarch of our congregation. And to not yet be able to hold a service within the sanctuary for her is a definite heartache. Yeah. Absolutely something that is a heartache. And we know that lots of uh, small congregations are holding onto their buildings. There's kind of not necessarily trying to make light of this, but for some people, we're keeping the building open so that my funeral can be held there. Sure. Right. And right now, no one's funerals are being held in buildings, or if they are, they're at very high risk. And that makes it really hard. I will be honest that it added a level of grief to this particular service, and particularly because this member did die from the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. She was one of the first in Oregon to die from the virus. And so it added a level of complexity and a level of grief to it that even I was not anticipating. The inability to be present at the time of death, the inability to hold vigil in physical vigil present with her as she died. I know that there are many people struggling with that right now. And many people who, like your mother, have to balance the risk and the need for closure. It's very hard and it is a unique grief. And I just had the thought, who can we learn from in managing that kind of grief? And I think about parents who lose their children far away from them, Mm -hmm. right? Or families of service members who are lost abroad. Those of us who can't be present with our loved one when they die, that that kind of trauma is what thousands are experiencing right now and what a level of grief that holds that is that is very hard it is incredibly hard we had talked briefly about this in one of our first podcasts on funerals themselves mm-hmm. and the issue at the time was traveling Right. I live a very long way away from the rest of my family. If I'm going to hop in a car, it's going to take a couple of days. And if I'm going to take a plane, it's still going to take at least a travel day and all the expenses and everything else. So that distance is already a barrier. And now it's impossible to try to figure out what am I going to do should something happen to one of my parents or my husband's parents Because is the risk of going to visit worth it? Because the last thing I want to do in seeing them is inadvertently kill them Mm -hmm. by bringing the virus with me. Absolutely. So the, the level of complexity we have now with the pandemic going on and the travel issues and everything else, it's kind of mind boggling. It is. And I've also seen 
on social media, people have talked about seeing their loved one die on some sort of video call of some sort, Mm -hmm. which seems both sad and helpful at the same time, but it's still not the same as being in the room. Right. It's the only way for those with COVID, the only way for family to say goodbye is through a video call, Mm -hmm. FaceTime, which the nurses in full PPE will help facilitate as they are able. So it's better than nothing. Yeah. Right. It's better than nothing, but it is far from what we wish for. And I think that for funerals, we will be seeing more and more live streamed or broadcasted services. So the next service that I'll be doing is for someone who died during this time, but not of coronavirus. And we will have a service in a park. And so folks will be close, friends and family will be present. And then we will be broadcasting that in some manner for people to be able to participate from afar and hopefully stay home and watch the service and participate in that manner. It's a new way. I've live streamed funeral services before. I've certainly done that. Did that, you know, two or three or four times because family was just too far away to get in even without the virus. Sure. So it's very possible to do that. And it's better than nothing, right? Wow. It's better than nothing at all. It's still hard. It is. It's just hard. It is. I never thought about the live stream. I just attended a live stream from how many thousand miles away of my nephew's graduation. And it is remarkable how useful that tool is. And some things are better about it. And some Mm -hmm. will just never be the same as the actual thing. Absolutely. But what are you going to do? Have you found any way to deal with the need for human contact in this time, either from people grieving or you trying to get to help people who are dying? No, no. I'm not. Okay. Um, I will say that in preparation for this service, originally folks had thought that maybe masks weren't going to be necessary because we were outdoors. And I just reminded that During funerals, it's very hard to not get close to one another. And so it would be extremely difficult to maintain six-foot distancing through the entire service. I would like for them to consider masking so that if they did feel like giving one another a hug, if they made that choice in that moment, that that extra layer of protection would be present. Because I don't think it's realistic. If someone is taking the risk to be present at a funeral... They're already choosing to be at a high risk. Well, and um, I, I don't think we're deep enough into this for us to have changed enough that your first instinct when you see somebody who's crying is to not go up and hug them. Correct. And until you can make that and step back from that as your first instinct, yep. I mean, something else has to give. And so at that point, this gathering, they were all masked and had appropriately so and did a great job with it all and distancing was maintained 99% of the time right I think that that is one of the ways that we can manage the human contact in this time of grief is to be aware that using face coverings using hand sanitizer sure all of those things that we have that are simple precautions that we can take make it more 
safe. They don't make it perfectly safe, but they make it more safe. And so I lift that up as to say that this is a way that people can be closer, but it's still a very risky situation. I think there's some kind of chart going around with like levels of risk. Oh, sure between who's wearing a mask and who's not? Not that one. I'm thinking of like the different activities. Oh, okay. And where the different activities rate, like staying home is at a zero and grocery shopping is at like a two or a three kind sure. of a thing. Church is an eight. <laughs> yeah. Right. Worship services are an eight. They don't specifically have uh, funerals on there. I've seen another one where they were looking at super spread events. Sure. And how those have impacted and worship services, birthday parties and funerals were in the top five. And so these are all really high risk events. And so I think that the goal is risk mediation. How do we understand that when we are grieving, we make different decisions than when we're not grieving. When we're grieving, we have higher risk factors simply because our noses are running and our eyes are watering and we long for human contact. And knowing that, admitting to that, recognizing that, then we can bring hand sanitizer and we can wear the masks, all of that kind of stuff. It's the best we got. It's the best I've figured at this point. Sure. Knowing that a lot of people are too great a distance to travel to some of these things, Mm -hmm. have you come across anything that would help people either reach out or somehow help somebody who's grieving from a distance? I don't know. One of the things that Pastor Megan Moore and I have worked together on lots of different things online for, oh, I don't know, better part of two decades. And we have been gathering on Fridays on Facebook Live and doing a piece called For Those Who Mourn. And it's a weekly opportunity. I think we're at eight weeks of this now that we've been doing this and talking about one honoring. We always read the death count for the coronavirus at the beginning of the service. Okay. To recognize how many people we've lost to the virus. We've also incorporated in like recognizing the things that have changed, not being able to sing together or those kinds of pieces that we're grieving in this time. And recognizing then, of course, the call of Black Lives Matter and the conversations we're currently having around racial inequalities and the grief that that brings for our country, rightfully so. And so we're talking specific techniques and things to do when managing grief. What are things that you can do to manage and to get yourself through it? So whether that's reading poetry or writing letters to people that you miss or engaging in creating something, making art of some kind, touching soft things, remembering that you have a physical body. So each week we take on like a different technique or a different idea of what you could be doing in order to tend to your own grief because we can't tend to each other's grief in the same way perhaps that we used to be able to. And so that's one piece that we've been offering out into the world and some folks are finding helpful. Interesting. Okay, let's take this back to the Bible because mm-hmm. it's that kind of a podcast. Yeah. 
Where would you point to people to go to if the Bible was going to be the place where they were going to find some help with their grief? Lots of places. First place I head towards is the Psalms, because the Psalms hold within them all kinds of emotions, all different kinds of emotions, and remind us that those emotions have been felt for centuries. I think that one of the things about grief in North America is that we tend to run from our emotions rather than diving into them. That's fair. Right? Or giving space for them. They're really pesky. They can really take down your productivity. And if there's something in North America that we hate, it's the lack of productivity. So grief is very inconvenient for being productive. And we just don't give it the time it needs and deserves. no, not at all. And emotions are a big part of that. Yeah, and I'm even talking, I've got friends who've had huge trips planned, and it's okay to grieve for experiences that are lost, along with people and other things that have been lost. And I don't think we give ourselves the space for that either. No, not at all. And so in the Psalms, we see emotions being validated. We see people being angry. We see people being sad. And we see people trusting in something beyond themselves to find their way through it. And so I oftentimes lean into the Psalms in places of grief. I also lean into the Psalms for stories of people who have experienced great loss and have found a way forward and looking at what they did to find their way forward. So if we see a husband who dearly loved his wife lose his wife while on a journey, watching or reading the story of him building an altar for her, placing rock upon rock, creating a spot to say, my beloved was lost here and marking that place, right? That matters. When we talk about where someone wants to be buried or whether someone wants to have a funeral, I think we may have talked about this years ago in a podcast, but those places are not necessarily for the sake of the deceased, right? Mm -hmm. We make plans for our own care, but at the same time, where I wish to be buried doesn't matter as much to me. I want to think about who is going to need a place to go to, to hold their grief. And if I'm just scattered, that can make it hard for someone to make a pilgrimage or go somewhere to say, I'm going to remember this person here in this place. There's an importance to that. Sure. And so I think that that opportunity to mark a place Our scripture gives many examples of that, and I find that helpful, a helpful reminder in grief that having a place to put the grief makes a difference. Sure. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. What have you found personally most helpful recently? That's a hard question because I was surprised by my own level of grief that was tapped into during this funeral. I think... What I oftentimes find helpful is to remember that I'm an embodied person, that I'm not just a mind, that I don't just think about things. And the way I do that is by having soft things. 
Okay. So today I'm wearing super soft pajamas. <laughs> sure. <laughs> as, that's fair. As, right. I'm not leaving the house today and they look good enough for me to be on video calls. So it's fine, but they're super soft and I have soft blankets near me and I might make a point to do some fiber projects today with super soft fiber. So for me, when I feel like things have been hard or I feel like my emotions are bruised, I oftentimes find physically soft things to touch and to feel. And that gives me permission to be soft and kind to my spirit as well and not just remain productive or to remain productive, but to do it while also still offering myself that softness and comfort. So that's my current technique Excellent. for what it's worth. I love it. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about grief. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I, and thank you all for joining along. Our prayers are with you as you journey in this time of grief throughout our country and world. I pray that you are finding methods of being kind to your spirit. If you have a technique that is particularly helpful, we would love to hear about it. You can post on our Facebook wall or reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs>